0: You are listening to Reformed University Fellowship at the University of Kentucky.
1: Here at RUF, we believe that you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace, and you are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. For more information, check us out at ruf.org backslash UK or on Instagram, at UKRUF. Thanks so much for listening.
0: He was in one of the cities. There came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying I will be clean and immediately the leprosy left him and he changed him to tell him tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make him make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them but now even more the report about him went abroad And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to them, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and other reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance.
1: Some of you have lived in Lexington your whole life. Some of you are new to Lexington. Uh, Regardless, you have come to grips with the fact that uh, there are certain parts of Lexington that have just horrendous traffic. All the time, Uh, if you live near Limestone or Nicholasville Road. Uh, In fact, even if you don't live there, you kind of have to drive on those at some point. And at some point, you just have to come to grips with the fact that you're going to be in bumper-to-bumper, slow-moving traffic, and you'll probably feel unsafe when it kind of narrows by the hospital. Like, that's just something, if you live in Lexington, you you have to come to grips with. Uh, this semester, what we've been doing is we've been studying the gospel of Luke. And tonight, we've just read a passage where Jesus performs miracles. And if you are new to Christianity, or maybe you've been around in a while, one of the things you have to come to grips with is that the Bible has miracles. There's miracles in the Bible. In fact, one of the central beliefs of Christianity is that the God who created the universe took on flesh and became man and died and rose again. And, and, and for some of you, that, that's not maybe that hard to believe. For some of you, it is harder to believe. Uh, but if you're going to wrestle with Christianity, uh, you've got to deal with that. You've got, you've got to deal with the miraculous. And, and so we're going to look at that tonight. Uh, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the fact that uh, the miracles are present. Uh, we're going to look at three tonight. Uh, we're going to look at the purpose of those miracles. And then lastly, we're going to look at how those miracles propel us. And, and, and what we'll see tonight as we do this is, is that Jesus' miracles are not just a raw display of power, uh, but they actually give us clues and insights uh, into who he is and what his mission is here on earth, to heal and to restore and to forgive. And so before we dive in, let me pray for us real quick. Father, We're grateful for tonight. We're grateful for the opportunity um, to take a break and uh, to hear your word. Lord, we all come tonight in need of restoration. We live in a world that needs to be healed and restored. And so, Father, as we look at your word tonight, as we look at these miracles of of healing and restoration and including an outcast, uh, Father, might you draw... Uh, our weary hearts to you we pray this in christ's name amen there are a number of uh, issues people have with with regards to miracles uh, uh, maybe for for some of you probably the most common one uh, is just that miracles are just not they, they just don't happen like uh, meet in a science building maybe you're like no, no like Science has kind of disproved Christianity, disproved miracles. Like miracles are not scientific. Uh, that's probably the most common objection, whether you uh, word it that way or you've heard it that way. Maybe some version of that. Uh, that can be an obstacle to, to believing that, that miracles can happen. Uh, and, and I, and I want to address that at the beginning, just because before we dive in to what Jesus does, I think it's important to address. Uh, like we said, in same we have to address traffic in Lexington. We have to address uh, the fact that this is not We have to address this doubt. Um, and, but, but I want to lean into that a little bit. Uh, the, the belief that, that miracles can't happen because of science is not actually a really scientific claim. Um, of course, it's, it's natural for us to look at the world and look for natural causes to things. Like, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, in fact, that's what we need to be doing. Uh, that's how we like, learn about medicines and cures and all, and all this stuff. But to say that everything can only be explained by natural causes, uh, or only, um, to, to put it this way, but to say that natural causes are the only explanation for the things that we see, uh, and that there has to be a natural explanation for this, I think actually goes beyond what science claims. Uh, that that statement can't actually be proven. To to say that only natural uh, explanations can explain everything or or natural causes can explain everything, actually, we can't scientifically prove that statement. There's a philosophy professor at Notre Dame by the name of Alvin Plantinga, and he has this great illustration of this. He says, imagine a drunk guy walking out of a bar and he drops his keys in the alley. uh, To say... That I can only believe what I see is possible, to, to, to kind of have that belief, is like that drunk guy insisting on only looking on the part of the sidewalk that's under the light because that's an easier place to look. To say that I'll only believe what I can see is assuming that we see everything. But there are plenty of things that, that we don't know and we can't see and that we have not seen yet. Uh, we need to only look for natural causes because those are the ones that we see. That that's what we often believe. But but uh, I think what you'll see that the more you look into that it, it, is that 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 doubt needs to be addressed. Uh, that that goes beyond the claims of science. But but here's the deal. That may not be your struggle. I have to address that because we're on a college campus and I know that doubt is present in this room. And if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you. For some of you, that is not your issue. I know for some of you, you don't have as big of a stumbling block believing in the miraculous. Uh, And that's why we need to look at at the purpose of these miracles. Uh, Because the purpose of these miracles actually are probably what were a bigger stumbling block to Jesus' initial audience. Uh, It's interesting. When you consider the miracles Jesus does in this passage, and actually when you think about the miracles that Jesus does throughout the Gospels, they're kind of tame. I mean, if you think about who Jesus claims to be, he claims to be the Son of God. Uh, Hebrews 1 will say that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, that through him all things came into existence. Uh, If those things are true about Jesus, then he can do pretty much anything. But, But you don't see Jesus walking around Jerusalem and being like, hey, See that guy over there? What's this? Now he's a turtle. You know what I mean? Or like, hey, look at that lake. It's gone. Pull down your ear. Like he's he's not just doing like these crazy things that go against the laws of nature. Everything Jesus does is. I mean, when you look at the things that he could do compared to what he actually does, they're relatively tame. He doesn't do these to impress people. And you, you can kind of see this. Look, look at verses 22 and 23. He notices people have this thought in, in their heads because he, he tells this man, after he heals the paralytic, he says, your sins are forgiven. Um, and he tells them to get up and walk. But he, but he says to the people, he says, um, what's easier, to say that someone's sins are forgiven or to tell someone to get up and walk, someone that's paralyzed to get up and walk? Well, it, it's easier to say that someone's sins are forgiven. That might be a more offensive His crowd, but it's easier to say because there's no way to disprove that. And so, what does he say? I'm going to do these miracles so that you might believe that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. The miracles Jesus does are not intended to draw attention to themselves, they're actually to point to his greater mission that he is the authority to forgive sins. Uh, This weekend, we're going to fall conference. You'll get excited when you see the sign for Camp Greystone, but none of you are going to get out at that sign and be like, yes, that's going to, you know, like, let's just stay here. No, like, no, no, the sign is meant to point you to what is actually the place that you're going to enjoy. And the same is true in Jesus' miracles. Jesus' miracles in and of themselves are not meant to draw our attention to the fact that he did that, but to the fact of who he is and what he is about. And you see this even in the miracles. Um... This is what they point to. Notice they're not, the the miracles Jesus does, he he doesn't just suspend the laws of nature. What he does is he actually restores nature. Jesus comes into a world that is filled with disease and it's filled with betrayal. Uh, It's filled with people who steal and rob. Uh, People would have hated this tax collector. Levi, that you see at the end of this passage. And and Jesus is coming into a world that that is filled with people like that and things like that. He comes to a world that has diseases like leprosy, uh, where people that have leprosy are considered unclean and cast out from society, uh, where people are paralyzed. He's come to bring healing. And this is an indicator, that this shows the heart of Jesus. Just even consider the first Miracle he does. Look at verse 12. It says, while he was in one of the cities, there was a man full of leprosy. Now in those days, and some of you know this, but to be a leper was to be literally, that they were untouchable. Leprosy was spread through touching so you couldn't touch them. Um, But you did not want to be associated with them. If you had leprosy, you had to leave your family. You had to go live on the outside. Some of you were quarantined last year. I haven't heard as many people quarantine, but like quarantine dorm, not fun. This is like the quarantine dorm for life. But much worse. And on top of that, it didn't end. There was no cure for leprosy. One author put it this way he said, um, The leper was not just ill, he was outcast. He had not simply lost his health, he had lost his family, his friends, his home, his livelihood. No one, indeed no one, was allowed to associate with him. It was like a dead man walking. And, and, you know, there's different stages of leprosy. In verse 12, it says he's full of leprosy. Uh, This man was in the advanced stages of leprosy. They weren't supposed to be in the city, and yet he's in the city. If you were to look at this person, you would have likely not wanted to look at them much longer. His face and body was probably disfigured, and you would not want to go anywhere near this man. And and who knows what he's thinking? You know, he comes to Jesus and knows what he says. He says in verse uh, 12, he says, you know, Lord, if you will... Uh, you can make me clean, but like he's clearly got faith to come, but he's not exactly sure how Jesus is going to respond. And yet Jesus heals him. In other places, Jesus will speak. Well, he speaks to the paralytic. Where he'll say, get up and walk. But here he doesn't speak this man's healing. He actually touches this leper And merely touching a leper could make someone unclean. It would make you ceremonially unclean. If you were a priest or a rabbi, you wouldn't even think about touching a leper in those days. Jesus touches this man and makes him heal. For the first time in history, someone who was clean, who was healthy, touched someone with leprosy. And rather than getting their leprosy, the person with leprosy received healing. Jesus brought cleaning to an unclean person he brought health to a person that was dying. He brought life to a dead man and a dead soul. Jesus could have done this a lot of different ways. The Savior that spoke a storm into ceasing could have easily spoken a man into healing like he did with his paralytic, but he doesn't, he touches him. 16th century theologian John Calvin put it this way. He said he could have healed a leper by his word alone, but he adds the contact of his hand to show his feeling of compassion. And no wonder, since he willed to put on our flesh in order that he might cleanse us from all of our sins. He touched him to show his compassion. This man grossed people out. He was probably making people angry and uncomfortable by the fact that he was in a city. He was supposed to be on the outside of the city. It does not gross Jesus out. It doesn't phase. Jesus. Jesus. And you and I need to hear that. It is so easy to walk around this campus and this world thinking, "Oh, if anyone knew that about me, or you think of something and you think, you know what, I don't even want to think about that. I don't want to think about that thing that I did. I don't want to think about that character of me. I don't want to think about that thing in my family. I'm just going to move on. It's hard for us to think about, much less to even confess to God or ask prayer for. There there are things about each of us that we hate so much, it's hard for us to even dwell on them, much less tell God, and even much less tell someone else about them. And yet it's true for all of us, because Jesus came into a world that is broken, and he is not phased by your sin. He's not phased by your past. And so whatever it is tonight uh, that, that you feel guilty about, Whatever it is that you feel sad about tonight, uh, whatever relationship in your life feels like it's beyond the hope of repair, Jesus can bring healing. And you see that in this passage. You see that in the miracles that he does. None of those are too gross or too much for Jesus. And all of these miracles, Jesus healing the leper, Jesus healing a paralytic. At the end, Jesus, uh, you may not consider this a miracle, societally and socially, it would have been a miracle for a rabbi or someone who's thought well of to be sitting with a bunch of tax collectors. Like, that was like social suicide. And so the fact that Jesus does this is amazing. But, but all of these point to Jesus' greatest miracle. But because the, think about it this way. On the cross, what, what does Jesus do? He takes on, he is treated as unclean. He is treated as sinful so that we might be washed clean by his blood. Think about what he offers to the paralytic. You know, he says, your sins are forgiven. Because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. Jesus can only say that because he took on the punishment that man's sins because there has been a righteous sacrifice who's been punished in the place of our sins and he can say to levi come and follow me and he can dine with tax tax collectors were hated in this day if you're a tax collector you were a thief they were notorious for stealing money you were a traitor because you worked with the roman government and not only that you were hanging around with tons of people that were ceremonially unclean so you were unclean No one liked tax collectors. No one wanted to be with them. And yet Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to eat with you and your friends. He brings outcasts in. And you see him doing that exact same thing on the cross. what happens to Jesus on the cross? Jesus is literally treated like an outcast. He he knows what it means to be abandoned by his family and friends. On On the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was treated like an outcast so that people like Levi and people like you and me can be brought into communion and fellowship with him. All of these miracles point to the greater mission of Jesus. He's come to bring light into darkness, to bring salvation to sinners, to bring sinners to repentance, that we might have fellowship with him that's the purpose of these miracles. But, but lastly, that purpose, what Jesus is about, ought to propel us. It ought to propel us to God. He says at the end of this passage, last two verses, 31 and 32, Jesus himself says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The, the news that Jesus has come for sinners and and he wants to see sinners restored and repentant all all to draw us to God. And yet so often it leaves us fearful. Uh, Imagine uh, you go home uh, tonight and you start uh, coughing up blood. That'd be kind of unsettling. Uh, It would be kind of insane and crazy if someone told you like, um, guess what? I'm coughing up blood, man. I've got to go. To the pharmacy or to the grocery store and get some better soap. It is getting all over my arms, and you get like some better laundry detergent. Like you'd be like, well, yeah, that that I'm sure you probably do, but like, are you gonna do anything about like the cough? Like, it would be crazy. It would be so dumb. Like, why are you? Yes, you should wash the blood. You should get some better soap, maybe some better lotion. But you kind of need to deal with the issue, and that is the fact that you're coughing up. Blood. There's something in your body that's going wrong. And yet so often we, do, we, relate, to this, <laughs> we relate that way to God and to our sin. But we so often want to care more about the outside than our actual problem. And so for some of you, this, this, this looks like never actually admitting to God and to others that you have some things in your life that you do not like that there are some things in your life that you feel shame over. It it might even mean that you never slow down for more than three seconds, because if you do, you'll be terrified of what you might find in the silence. And so it is impossible to get away from other people, from your phone, because it's scary. What will happen if I'm just left to my thoughts? Then I'll have to recognize there are things going on in my life that are hard, that are shameful. And so to you, the invitation is to come. To come and to come as you are and to be healed. We are foolish to act like we're not sick when we are. It would be crazy to go to a doctor and act like your biggest problem was that you have blood on your arm. And it is crazy for us to come to God and act like we don't have greater and deeper issues. And yet so often that is the way we come for others of, of you, this hesitancy may look more like, um, maybe for some of you, you've kind of heard about God and you know about him and you know you should fit him into your life, but you still really like, there's these things that you really want to hold on to. And maybe it's things you don't want to admit. Maybe there's like things that you like doing, but you know you probably shouldn't be doing and you just want to hold on to those. And, and, and so, you're, you're coming, you're trying to like fit some God in your life, while also at the same time trying to maintain all these other things. And you never stop to think and ask like, how is that working out for me? How is that working out for you? My guess is not well, or it's hard, but because here's the reality. If if we're trying to bring some God into our life, we're going to be aware enough that there are things about God that are true. Like, he's righteous, and he's holy, and he's good, and there's probably some things that he likes and doesn't like. Um, But if we never actually bring our whole selves to him, we will never actually experience forgiveness. We'll never actually experience the joy of repentance and living for him. In the same way, if I just bring some surface issues to a doctor, like, great, I'll have clean hands and clean arms, and inside I'll be dying. But the same thing is true of us. Jesus invites you to bring yourself, all of yourself to him. Come to Jesus. Come to the great physician and be healed. And when this happens, it ought to it ought to actually drive us more to God. Because the, the more we do this, the more we realize, oh man, I really need Jesus. Because uh, what you'll find is that growing as a Christian means it's not like, it's not like you look back and it's like, oh man, I used to be such a mess. But now I'm at Jesus and like, man, I'm just finding out day after day like how good I am. No, the, the more you get to know God, the more you actually see your need for him. And the good news of the gospel actually becomes better which will drive us to him and propel us to him, but it'll also propel us into the lives of others. One of my favorite images, actually, one of my favorite images in all of scripture is these friends bringing the paralytic to their friends. Look at the image of 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19. You've got this friend that's paralyzed, and he's got friends that are so committed to seeing him healed that they're bringing him through a crowd. It's almost like a comical scene, like, like there's no room, and they're like, well... All right, we're just going to go through the roof. Like, surely there's probably a better way to do that. I don't know why. You know, I don't know how that plan got hatched, but whatever. They were so committed to seeing their friend who's was paralyzed uh, get healed that they brought him through a roof. Why? Because they believed that Jesus could heal them. When you've seen how Jesus meets you in your guilt and your shame, and can heal, and forgive, and restore, that ought to propel us into the lives of others. All of you are here tonight because someone in some way, shape, or form has carried you here. Not like literally. No one has ever come to RUF like on a stretcher being carried by friends, but someone's been praying for you. Someone invited you. Uh, Very few people just stumble into the third floor of the JSV on a Wednesday night. You know what I mean? Like, um, Someone's brought you here. There are people. God has actually, he's placed you in places um, and he's put people in your life and it's not an accident. One of the greatest privileges we get to have is then to carry people in the same way that we have been carried to Jesus. And what an amazing image of friendship of sharing the good news, of telling someone, you know what? I don't know where you're at, but like, I need to hear this good news. I'd love you to come to church with me. I'd love you to come to RUF with me. There's a million things you can do during your four years of college. There is no better way than to be in the business of carrying other people to Jesus. How awesome would it be if 30 to 40 years from now, someone could say, you know what? My life was a wreck. And I had no hope in myself, in this world, before you invited me to hear the gospel, before you shared the gospel with me. That's the good news Jesus offers. And the people he gives that good news to, he invites us to participate in his mission. That's an invitation. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, thank you. Lord, that you are not only a God who brings healing and restoration into lonely, dark, and isolated places. But Lord, those whom you heal and those whom you restore, you send as agents and ambassadors uh, of your good news into a world that so desperately needs it. Father, I pray that we would come to you, uh, that folks in this room would come to you, whether that's for the first time, Or for the thousandth time, saying, Lord, I need to be healed. I need to be sent. So we ask for help as we do this. We pray this in Christ's name.